Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. title of this message is Salvation According to Jesus. And I didn't really realize how much um, diversity there was out there on how people understand to be saved. Um, So I think it makes perfect sense that we look to the Bible and specifically to Jesus to to, uh, clarify what does it mean to be saved. Now, Jesus's words about eternal life almost always come with some sort of a a um, warning. Uh, you know, what, what he is communicating is that the cost of following him is is high. It's tremendously high and that the path to following him is a very narrow path that strips us of everything that we are. And that there are many people who believe themselves to be um, followers of of Jesus that are going to one day be turned away. Uh, and, And that, that to me seems to be cause for alarm. You know, certainly among present day evangelicals, um, this this message of a narrow path um, and a narrow gate is largely ignored. Uh, You know, the the prevailing view seems to be, you know, pray a prayer, uh, walk an aisle, everything's fine. You're you're good. You're in. And and there's no real calling on on a person's life. Result, the 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 community of people who profess to be believers, you know, is, is full of people who have very shallow, very empty uh, faith, you know, and, and and they believe they're sincerely saved. You know, modern modern Christianity has been conditioned to believe that, you know, again, all you have to do is recite a prayer or or walk an aisle and and or have some sort of warm, fuzzy experience and you're in. That, that's all that's there. But the Bible clearly teaches that there is going to be evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life and that there is a transformed life. First John 3.10 says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of, of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So real salvation isn't just justification. It's not just an event. It is a process that we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians 2, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desires and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean 
innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What I'm, I'm describing here, what Paul is describing here is lordship salvation. Now, the first thing we need to understand is we don't make Christ Lord in our lives. He is already Lord. You know, he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And anyone who doesn't receive him as Lord is guilty of rejecting him. So what I want to do today is go through the book of Matthew as best we can with the time we have. And the, the reality is, is there's no way I'm going to be able to get to all of the all of the examples that, that Jesus gives us. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus on what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to to walk the narrow path? Now, in Matthew 5, which is the, the scripture we looked at last week, um, the Beatitudes, Jesus begins by laying down the characteristics of a person who is coming to salvation. In verse 3, he says, Blessed the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and what he's saying is is that people who are beggars spiritually speaking they realize that they are spiritually bankrupt that they are spiritually empty and then he says blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted and, and again these are people that because they're they're empty because they they recognize their their spiritual emptiness it breaks their heart and they're are crying out to God and saying, God, fill me with you. And then um, he goes on and he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, um, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for theirs uh, and, and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the persecuted. And, and he goes on like this. And, and again, what he's expressing is this is the mind Set. This is the attitude of someone who is coming to salvation, that they are broken over their sinfulness. They are broken over their separation from God. They are empty inside and they recognize it. And so in desperation, they're crying out to God. And in, in desperation, they don't care what anybody else thinks of them. They want God in their life at any cost. And so the Sermon on the Mount begins with that introduction. And then the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is presenting. This is what someone who is in the kingdom looks like. This is the way they behave. This is the way they interact. And then he comes to the invitation. And, and remember, understand, Jesus is speaking to an audience of people who are steeped in Judaism. They are extremely religious people. These people um, are, are so devout in their religion. 
And so this is who his message is going to. And in chapter 7, Jesus comes to the invitation. You thought only Baptists did invitations, but Jesus has an invitation in chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Now recognize that what Jesus is doing here is he is presenting two different paths. Now, the path that he says, the way, the broad way that leads to hell, it's not labeled highway to hell, ACDC. He is, he is saying that this, this wide path is actually labeled the way to heaven. Because again, remember, he's speaking to religious people. There are two paths. Both of them say this is the path to heaven. But one of them is a very narrow way, a very hard way. The other path is a wide way. And even though it's labeled highway to heaven, it's actually the highway to hell. Now, how does that come about? Well, all religions are saying our path is the way to heaven. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're Christian. If you are just following a religion, that path leads to hell. Because what religion does is religion is where a group of people got together and said, this is the way we are going to choose to worship God. And we don't get to make that choice. We come to God on his terms because God is God. And so we don't get to tell God, this is how I think I'm going to worship you. We that that's that doesn't count. So both roads, both paths are marked. This is the way to heaven. But one is the narrow path. And Jesus says it's narrow, it's difficult, and only a few ever find it. The broad path is the religion path that says, hey, everybody, come this way. It'll take you where you want to go. But in fact, it leads to hell. So the broad way to hell, even though it's labeled heaven, and it is, this is the real issue here. Now, what, what we need to understand is that in order to go down the narrow path, there are some things that have to happen. You know, Jesus is characterizing false religion as the broad path. We can't just slop along and say, I prayed a prayer once, I got baptized, and so I'm good, I can live any way I want. I can kind of do what I want. Uh, that, that's nonsense. We, we can't just slop along. Jesus is saying that the path that he's called us to is, is a narrow, difficult path. And is wide. Hey, you can bring your trash along with you. You can bring your bag 
You can do anything you want. It's okay. You're under grace. God's forgiven you. It doesn't matter. That's nonsense. We have to choose the narrow path. There is a narrow gate. And in order to go through the narrow gate, you have to be stripped down. You have, you don't bring anything with you. The path is narrow. It's extreme. It's hard. You have to live a circumspect life where, where you're constantly examining yourself in light of God and you are constantly seeking to, to grow closer to him. Again, remember, the Christian life is a life of being transformed more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, notice in verse 14, it says, only a few ever find the narrow path. You know, this is, this is the reality of true salvation. I don't know how few is few, but the, the reality is that, you know, we, we are called to something that is very specific. We must live that way. You know, there are many people on the road of religion, and one day they're going to show up and stand before God, and Jesus is going to say, I, I never knew you. I, I, I don't know who you are. In verse 13, he says, many go that way. You know, in verse 22, oh, I'll begin with verse 21. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So understand, just because we say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that we are, are into heaven. You know, there are lots of people that are on a broad road that think they're headed to heaven, but they're not. And, and this should be alarming. This should be something that we sit up and take note and say, oh, my, uh, you know, th this is something we need to pay attention to. So let's ask some questions here. Who are the few? What, what do they look like? You know, how, how do we recognize them? Because in verse 21, he says, only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven. So the people who are on the narrow path are the people who do the will of God. Verse 22, many, it says, the same like in verse 13, many who are on the wrong road, on the broad, the broad path, you know, we've done all of this stuff for you, God. We we went to church. We, you know, we went to Sunday school. We went to Bible study. We did all of this stuff for you. And he's saying, I didn't know you. One of the reasons is because they didn't do the will of the father. It's not what we claim. It's what we do with our lives it's how we live. Instead of seeing, you know, if, if you come to me and say, so-and-so is a Christian, 
All we do is look, and is there a pattern of being obedient to God? Is there a pattern of seeking to follow in Christ's footsteps? Is there a pattern of trying to live a godly life that brings honor and glory to God? Or is it a person just kind of doing their own thing, and religion just happens to be a part of it? 1 John 3, 6 says, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. So the first characteristic, the few are those who do the will of God. And, you know, that, that there is a pattern of being obedient to the will of God. The will of God begins with us coming to Jesus Christ and obeying or following everything that Jesus taught. Remember the Great Commission where Jesus says, teach everyone all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus was teaching the teaching the, the will of God. So we are to follow the will of God. Listen, pay attention and follow Jesus's teaching. So first of all, the few are those who do the will of the father. You know, again, if you say someone so and so is converted, they're a Christian all we do is look at their life over the long haul. Now, again, no one's perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're, we're going to mess up along the way. But what is the consistent pattern? Is it a pattern of obedience or is it a pattern of disobedience? In Matthew 7, verses 24, says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So the second characteristic that I, I'm drawing on today, characteristic one is a person will do the will of God. The second thing is, is they obey the teaching of Jesus. Really, they're one and the same because Jesus was communicating the will of God. The few are recognizable because they have a heart and they have a desire to do the will of God. And again, what my purpose here is, ask yourself, you know, is, is my heart's desire to be obedient to God? Is my heart's desire to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? That's, that's the path that is the narrow path. Show me a person who has, no good regard or has little regard for the teaching of Jesus. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I really don't care. You know, show me a person who has no desire to be obedient to God. And I'll show you a person that by Jesus's standard is not saved. And if they were to die, they were on the wide path that led to hell. 
Now, in Matthew 10, and again, there's no way we're going to be able to cover all of these. But um, in verse 32, Jesus is teaching and he says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Well, you say, oh, it's pretty easy to be a follower of Jesus here in America, you know, but understand the, the context that Jesus was teaching in. He is speaking to extremely religious people who think and believe that Judaism in and of itself will lead to salvation. And what Jesus is saying is you have to follow me. You have to follow my teaching. And for them to do that and to do it publicly means that they are going to be ostracized from all of society. They, by, by being followers of Christ, are being cut off, not just from church, they're being cut off from their homes. They're being cut off from society. They are going to become outcast. And so Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to lose all of that in order to follow me, I'm not going to recognize you before my father. You know, um, his audience had a huge Burden where they were being asked to make this choice. So what we need to understand is that the price to following Jesus is high. The cost is devastating. You know, if you're not willing to stand up as a Christ follower, no matter what the cost, I'm then Jesus is not going to confess us before the Father. True faith takes courage and it, it not only obeys, but it has the courage to stand up publicly. And then Jesus talks about the fact that if you love your father or your mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. If, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Well, what does he mean by that? He means that you must choose Christ over family. You must choose Christ over absolutely everything. And when he's about taking up your cross, again, think about the context that Jesus is saying this in. These people were under Roman occupation. They had seen lots and lots of people crucified on a cross. So when Jesus says you must be willing to take up your cross and follow me, what the people understood is when you take up a cross, you're going to get nailed to that cross. That's, that's the image that they had in their mind. So what we need to understand is if you're not willing to die for Jesus Christ, you are not worthy of him. We've never been asked to die for Christ, 
But this is what this is telling us. You know, if you, he even says so in verse 39, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. This is extremely strong stuff. Now we go a step further in, in chapter 13, and it's the parable of the soils. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across the field, some of the seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil and an underlying, underlying rock. And the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even a hundred times as much as been planted. Anyone who hears with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, Jesus here is describing different soils. There are three bad soils and there are three good soils. The three good soils produce fruit, 30, 60 and 100. The bad soils don't produce any fruit. So again, what he's showing us is the mark of salvation in this parable is Saved people produce spiritual fruit because of the the good ground are those who are saved. And as a result, they they bear fruit. They produce fruit. So who are the few? Those that are on the narrow path, those who obey the commands of Christ and the will of the father, those who confess Christ, no matter what the and those who give evidence of salvation by bearing fruit. Remember, James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Now, in Matthew 13, Jesus is, is training his disciples in evangelism. And he's, he's explaining to them, you're going to come up against all kinds of different soils. Some of the soils are not going to do anything at all. Some of the soils are going to produce some fruit. And, oh, by the way, among the fruit, among the, the plants that are producing fruit, you're also going to have some weeds. What are the weeds? The weeds are, are false Christians. They're, they're false followers, people that are not really part of the kingdom, but they're mixed in among the kingdom. This is, this is so important for us to grasp this, that Jesus is, is clearly saying these are what, people who are saved look like this is what a saved life you know is how it's identified now in verse 44 of the same chapter he begins these parables and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field back in jesus's time there was not the first national Bank of Jerusalem or, or something like that. There were no such things as banks and people really didn't have locks on doors. And so if you had something that you valued, you hid it. And one of the ways they would hide it is they would go out into a place and they would dig a hole and they'd bury it almost like a pirate or something. And they would keep 
app that showed where their hidden treasures were. Now, what Jesus is saying is there's this guy bebopping along one day, you know, and he comes across a somebody's treasure that wasn't well enough. And he goes, oh, my gosh. Oh, hey, this is this is a lot of money here. And so in order to play fair, he gets rid of everything. He sells everything so that he has the money to buy the field. And in buying the field, he then takes possession of the treasure. So he bankrupts himself in order to obtain this treasure. Then verse 45, Jesus drops right into another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking to buy fine pearls. Now, the difference in these two parables is the first guy wasn't looking for a treasure. He just stumbled across it. The second guy is looking for a treasure and he finds it in both cases they are they are willing to get sell everything they have they are willing to bankrupt themselves in order to obtain the treasure the treasure is salvation that's what we need to understand. And so, you know, some people stumble across salvation. They weren't really looking for it, but all of a sudden it came to them like the Apostle Paul. Some people are searching for salvation. They, they, they recognize the emptiness in their life, and so they're, they're trying to get it. In both cases, what they were doing is they are willing to exchange everything they have in order to obtain this, this rich treasure of salvation. You know, we can't just add Jesus to our repertoire. You can't, you can't come to Jesus and say, well, I'm living a good life. And, you know, I, I sure like some hell insurance. And so, yeah, Jesus, why don't you come and save me? And, and I'm just going to go ahead. And, and that way I know that if I were to die, I'll go to heaven. It, not, it doesn't work that way. You exchange everything. It costs you everything to become a child of God. Remember, you know, this is the exchanged life. The Apostle Paul says, I count everything as manure. We know what manure is, right? I count everything as manure that I might have Christ. That's that's the intensity of what this means. So there's only a f the few are going to obey. Only the few are going to confess Christ. Only the few are the ones who are good soil that produce fruit. And those who are willing to give up everything for the sake of Jesus. Then in Matthew 18, Jesus calls a little child over to him and he sets him there. And he says, I assure you that most solemnly say to you, unless you repent, which what is repent? That means to change on the inside, change your way of thinking, change your way of living and become like children. In other words, trusting and humble and forgiving. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child's greatest kingdom of heaven. So here is another condition, if you will, of salvation. You have to turn around and you have to go 
the other way. That's what repentance means. You, 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 you turn away from sin and you become a follower of Christ. You know, if you're proud, if you say, I, I got this, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm me. God, God isn't able to, to, to do anything with you. Whoever humbles themselves. So who are the few? the ones who humble themselves. They are the ones that come before God and say, God, I am a mess and I know I'm a mess. I, I need you. I, I am lost without you. You know, the humble are those who mourn over their sin. Remember going back to the start of the Sermon on the Mount. The humble are the meek. The humble are the ones who, who know they don't have righteousness. And so they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And they're coming to God saying, God, please, I have to have you in my life. And then we come to the rich young ruler, um, Matthew 19. You know, he does everything right. He comes running to Jesus, which shows his sense of desperation. He falls on his knees, which he's showing respect to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. And, and so he's, he's acknowledging Jesus as being the source of, of knowledge and understanding. He came to the right person. He came to Jesus and he asked the right question. What shall I do to be saved? He was religious. If you go over to Luke and Mark, it says that he was a leader in the church, in the synagogue. So this is a religious guy. He's got the world at his fingertips. Everything's going his way. And yet he realizes inside he's empty. He realizes he doesn't have salvation, even though he's very steeped in the Jewish religion. And so, you know, any self-respecting evangelist, if, if this guy had come forward on the first stanza of just as I am, and, you know, he comes up, the, you know, any self-respecting preacher or evangelist would say, well, pray a prayer, you know, uh, you're good, walk the aisle, you did that, man, you're in, we're good. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus puts up roadblocks. The first thing he says is obey the commandments. What he's looking for, what Jesus is looking for is for this guy to admit his sinfulness. When he says obey the commandments, nobody obeys the commandments. Nobody, none of us obeys the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus says, obey the commandments. And the guy says, which one? I've, I've obeyed all of them. And so Jesus kind of goes through a list, you know, honoring your parents and all of these things. The guy says, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm a perfect ten. I, I, I obey the commandments. And so Jesus says, well, then sell everything you have. Now, this isn't salvation through giving away stuff. What Jesus is doing is, is testing, is this guy willing to be obedient? Is he willing to follow Jesus? He's already said he's perfect. Well, we know that's not true. And now Jesus is testing him and saying, are you willing to be obedient? And the guy because he's rich, says, ah, I'm not willing to do that. I, I'm empty inside, and I know I'm emptied inside. 
but I'm unwilling to confess my sinfulness and I'm unwilling to be obedient to Jesus. And so it says that the young man went away sorrowfully. Now, if you want to, if, 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 if you want to understand this, for Jesus must be your savior. We have to acknowledge that we're sinful. We have to acknowledge that we are messed up. Every single one of us. And only Jesus, because of the old rugged cross, only Jesus can take away our sin. You know, one side of the salvation coin is Jesus is Jesus's lordship. So Jesus died for our sins and we trust him for salvation. The other side of that is I am willing to be under the authority of Jesus. If Jesus says jump, I say how high that's, that's what salvation looks like. So, Two things that Jesus was trying to to rec you know pull out of this guy, and I I challenge you. Do you recognize the sin in your life, and will you submit to the lordship of Jesus? You know, if the Spirit of God is bringing about true conversion in a person's heart, those are going to be there, confession and obedience. You know, this guy was the hottest prospect, you know, by our standards, man, you know, he's he's a mover and shaker. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of influence. We want him to be a part of our church so we can make a, a bigger impact. Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus put up roadblocks so that he couldn't be on the wide road that leads to destruction. You know, so here's the issue. Who are the few? Who are the ones that go through the narrow gate? Those who obey. Those who confess Christ at any cost. Those who are good soil and produce fruit. Those who sell out, sell all and humble themselves and follow Christ. Those who are willing to repent of their sins and submit to Jesus. And this keeps going on. You know, there's, there's the parable of the 10 virgins. There, there are so many examples where Jesus keeps showing what does the saved person look like? What does the person on the narrow path look like? You know, our time is gone and, and there's so many examples. But this is the message of the gospel. And we need to understand we have to get this right. I don't want any of to be one of the people that walk up to Jesus in heaven and he says, I, I never knew you. And we can say, but I went to church. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I did all of these things. And he'll say, I never knew you. You didn't obey me. You didn't submit to me. You didn't follow me. You didn't produce fruit for the kingdom. Examine your life carefully Make sure that you are a true follower on the narrow path. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you don't mince words. You don't, um, 
You don't make anything confusing. You're very clear. And my prayer again is that your Holy Spirit is moving and speaking in our hearts and minds right now. And I pray for those that are, are watching online, that they, they too will, will be drawn to the truth. And Father, I just ask that you help each and every one of us to be honest, honest with you and honest with ourselves. Please don't let the enemy deceive anyone today. Don't let any of us think we're saved when we're not. Lord, you know each and every one of our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Father, if there is any person that is a part of this service who thinks they're saved and they're not, please make them clear, clear, clear on that. And I just pray that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.